Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Streaming live on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel, here's Nick and Matt. What's up, everybody? Episode number 34, if I'm not mistaken, and Nick is on the road. It is actually a miracle that we're able to get Nick on tonight, as far as miracles go. I mean, RV travels. He was. Where did you wake up today? What state? Uh, I woke up in Arizona, and then I fell asleep on a plane. I woke up in Charlotte, and then I fell asleep on a second plane, and then I woke up in Virginia. <laughs> so you woke up three places today, and now you're on the road. Yeah. And you're in an RV traveling from Virginia, if I'm not mistaken. Is that where you're going from? From Virginia into Waco, Texas is the plan right now. Right. So um, that'll all be underway pretty soon. We are, you know, bringing you guys the show <laughs> on the road pretty much. And sorry for my quality once again. But uh, after this week, next week, we'll be we'll be back in the office. Hey, I'm not going to complain about your quality. I think it's fine for what we're doing. It's actually, it's impressive that we're able to pull this off like this. Um, so I just want to real quick touch before we bring in who we've advertised, Paul Macbeth being on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it true that you hate charities, Nick? It seems like I've seen a video recently where you were playing out of your mind because, and this is the premise, because you did not want to pay money to a charity. So you had to play the best. Is that what happened? You hate charities? Yeah. You know, believe me, I do love charity. I think it's for an incredible cause. And we actually had some great charities that we'll be donating to um, from that video. But we set up everything to be, you know, if you got penalized on a hole, you had to pay money. And for some odd reason, I only screwed up on one hole. And that was actually about it. I had, other than that, I didn't screw up and I feel bad. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, that's awesome, man. Um, I, but I hope you've noticed you know, since you've left, I've kind of been hanging out with other players up here named Simon Lazat. I told you, if yeah. you leave, you never know who might replace you in studio. So, Exactly. <laughs> now it's going to be the Simon to match show because he'll, he'll be able to be in studio. And now he's got Tomei rehabbing the elbow and everything like that. So, Yeah, people have been uh, kind of jokingly saying that in any uh, live feeds we've done. They're like, is this the Simon and Matt show? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So that's awesome. Well, we don't really want to delay too much here. And I just realized this is kind of funny. I started out this show on our YouTube stream and I changed all the settings. And apparently we were still unlisted in the stream. So I just clicked it off. People are just starting to join right now. Um, oh, so okay. I, I apologize about that, but that's okay. Yeah. This is also going to be for those watching later and on our podcast, our podcast audio. Yep. So, um, Nick, I'm going to introduce uh, who you're sitting next to. And I'm going to go ahead and just pull it up here because there he is. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Paul Macbeth, everybody. Um, there's too many accolades, I feel like, to do the full introduction correctly. But welcome to the show, Paul. Thanks for having me. I'm uh I feel so underdressed right now. I've been <laughs> outside trying to get the RV going. Uh, we have some light. We have some technical difficulties on the yeah. RV side. Some of the lights inside aren't working, so we're still in Virginia. <laughs> You've yeah. been trying to get out of there for a while. But um, congrats on the Memorial Championship, Nick. If you want to take this first question, go for it. I'm gonna let you host, even though you're sitting next to him. It's kind of different, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I'm gonna kind of read it from my phone because I haven't memorized my uh, questions yet, but. <laughs> Paul, you won the Memorial. You are now, I think, that you were a five-time champion of the Memorial. Now this is your sixth win. Um, it wasn't an elite series this year, but can you tell us, you know, kind of your ambition to go back to the event, win the event, and what does this win kind of mean to you? Um, 
it, it, it's a tournament I've been to so many times. Uh, growing up in Southern California, it's not too far away. It's one of the closest out-of-state events that I've played. So it, it, it means a lot. I mean, it's my first big win. It was my first national tour um, and really the, the tournament that kind of uh, propelled my career. Um, so it means a lot. And to the reason I went is, one, it's a Discraft event. It's kind of the first one. And it's on the West Coast. And it's one that you always know the weather is going to be great at. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to be warm. So getting out of the cold was, was a big reason. And it, it's the whole COVID stuff. You know, you, mm-hmm. you never know how many tournaments are going to happen, how many aren't going to happen. Hopefully all of them happen. Um, so I just want to get these tournaments in. Uh, just in case something like that happens and and it's somewhere I'm familiar with and and I can kind of use it as a warm-up and practice Mm -hmm. style event as well so um, yeah it was good to get the 6-1. Yeah absolutely I think uh, Paul said it best in a sense of it's a very warm tournament especially for being late February early March. Um, Vegas we were fortunate to have some pretty good weather besides the wind but then a memorial the last two days were easily over 85 degrees. Um, Kind of a side question to all that for the people who don't know, the highest rated round of disc golf ever played was 1132 shot by Paul Macbeth actually at Fountain Hills. It was a 17 down rated round in 2013. I, I forgot. I think it's 2013 <laughs> at the moment. But going back, do you ever feel like when you go to Fountain Hills, do you ever feel like you have something to prove there or you're just going out and you're trying to win the tournament? I just want to go out there and win. I mean, I know that tournament or that round was – I was so far back um, that I had nothing to lose at that point. So that's kind of when those rounds happen. Um, so I had to chase down a really big deficit, and I was able to do that with that 17 down. And then uh, Shuster happened to miss out his – well, he never added up his scorecard, and that's a two-stroke penalty. So I somehow got into a playoff. Um, but uh, I don't ever feel like I have something to prove there. I think that course always changes. Mm-hmm. Um there was a couple of different holes and, and the one I missed to shoot 17 is a lot easier now, but it's still not really getting tuned. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, no, never feel like I have something to prove there. And, and the more that they, you know, kind of extend that course, kind of mm-hmm. try to extend Vista and, you know, we have a lot of talented players going there that, that it, it doesn't matter what you shoot in one round. It takes, it takes four good rounds to four great rounds to win, win an event these mm-hmm. days. Awesome. So, I looked at looked up stats a little bit. I like stats, and so I checked out a little bit of your previous um, performances, number one, but then looked at last year's performance compared to this year's performance. You shot one stroke better this year than last year's Memorial Championship, um, and you averaged 1,060, which I know ratings every, every week. I, I'm just going to stop giving my disclaimer. I know ratings aren't the end all, but it gives me a good average, which 1,060 is about 10 rating points higher than last week at LVC or now a week and a half ago. Do you feel like, like, how do you compare that to the LVC? Was it an improvement at the Memorial championship and how does this past weekend leave you feeling? So now you've had two events under your belt, a win here, obviously at Memorial playing a little bit better rating wise than LVC. How does it leave you feeling going into the the rest of the tournaments coming up like Waco, for instance? Yeah, winning and winning that way and being close is—it's always great because you always learn from it. You always learn how to to handle yourself in those in those battles. Um, so it's always good to get that feeling, no matter what the score is, because you you kind of have this head-to-head battle going on. And then in that situation, I had AB really—I mean, he had four strokes on me in the first, I think, four holes or something. So he uh, he extended his lead pretty good, and then I was able to chase him down. And then Ulibarri on the second card was just going off. So. 
Um, then I had to start looking at scores to see see that side of it and start continuing to push. You know, I couldn't just worry about AB uh, because those holes in the back, I mean, at Fountain Hills and, and Vista, there's so much OB involved. Um, you can kind of get away with it at Las Vegas a little bit more if you have some errant drives, but there you're, you're off a little bit and you're out of bounds. So um, I kind of had to check if I had to continue pushing um, and, and Julie showed that I had to. Um, so it, it was great to, to have a battle like that. I don't think I play, I think I played better this week at Memorial than I did last week at Vegas. But uh, if we had all the players, I think it would have been uh, interesting to see, see how it played out. But the weather was two of the days was pretty nasty, pretty windy. So um, the score shot could have won, could not have, you know, if Eagle, Ricky and all those players were still there, but you never know. So I was able to battle it out with the guys there and it was a lot of fun and it was a good experience. I'm glad you said that. I was actually going to follow up with, do you think your score uh, would have held up had you mentioned, like you said, all the rest of the players are there, but that's speculation. Um, You don't, you, you answered it already. So thank you. So this event not being a DGPT or national tour or anything like that, didn't have those phase one restrictions that we're pretty much used to right now going out on the road. Um, But Arizona obviously has their own pandemic guidelines going on with everything. And they have rules. I know that the tournament directors had made, there's no spectators technically allowed. Um, the two courses that are played for the Memorial Championships are both public parks. So you have people kind of lining up the sidewalks, um, being respectful of, you know, hopefully the six feet apart standard that we're used to right now. Um, but no spectators were allowed, so to say, on the fairways. But as people have seen, AB had a massive eagle on hole 15 of the event. And the videos that were shown of it, it actually show a pretty large crowd that was pretty much gathered up and it was excited seeing that Eagle and everything like that. How was it playing in front of fans again, people going for a stroll that day? Yeah. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a pro tour, a national tour, but it had the strictest COVID guidelines I've, I've played in since, mm-hmm. since COVID has mm-hmm. become a thing. So we had to wear our masks at all times unless we were throwing. And that was, I mean, it was 85, almost 90 degrees. So yeah. that was miserable. Yeah. Um, so having those guidelines was, was kind of frustrating. It was, it was difficult to play in. It's difficult mm-hmm. to breathe. It was dusty. You're getting, your masks are all dirty from playing. So that kind of sucked, but uh, yeah, having no fans, but uh, having a lot of people taking a stroll in the park was yeah. very interesting. A lot of people were stopping. You know, I, I didn't recognize anyone out there, so it was pretty incredible. Uh, but, yeah, it was it was an awesome feeling having a lot of people there cheering and watching. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of gives you those those butterflies in your stomach that, that have kind of been missing with the with the fans and spectators out there. So really cool feeling. And to see AB make that eagle and, and continue to charge was uh, was exciting mm-hmm. because it's like I was excited to see people cheering like that for someone because it's been so long. Like it's been over a year since Waco pretty much, yep. which is this week. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's incredible to see. And hopefully hopefully we can have that again here soon. I'm yes. not. I'm not gonna lie. I when I saw that Anthony Barella video that I don't know who posted social media rounds, it felt weird to me. Like when was this recorded? <laughs> like it felt yeah. weird. But I will say it felt like that. I don't know something that you've missed in your childhood, and you're like, there it is. Like it had that feeling to me as a viewer. Uh, so mm-hmm. I can only imagine for you when you were playing your round and finishing out. Did you have people cheering for you? 
did i have people cheering yeah, for me yeah i mean like was that yeah. energy there yeah 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 it was, it was all over the whole weekend um so it was it was for everyone i think people were just excited to be out there watching disc golfers and watching watching players they've been seeing only on youtube for the last year so um yeah it was it was incredible and, and i did have a few fans out there <laughs> awesome so in yeah. in kind of jumping off the memorial um question theme there if you will there's been other news recently announced which we're actually going to get to in just a second more, more news that was like announced an hour ago but before we get to that um i feel like we'd be a little remiss not to bring up the fact that you signed a really significant public contract um and everybody's talking about it. i don't even need to give the details of it if you don't know google it um but just as a fun side note and maybe to pick just a little bit here into what that actually entails i heard recently and i think it was from you on another um interview yes i listened to other interviews <laughs> where you had mentioned hey that's just a minimum salary like so first of all let me ask this question would you consider yourself a spender or a saver and does a $10 million contract change that for you, <laughs> whether you're a spender or a saver? And then, and follow up to that is like, you mentioned that was the minimum you can make. What are your opportunities to make more? Like, what are those opportunities look like? Uh, as far as spender or saver, I'm sure Nick would have a different answer to that than <laughs> I would. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. I don't buy a lot of small things. Like I just bought jeans for the first time in like 10 years, it feels like. Um, so I don't buy a lot of clothes. I don't buy a lot of things where I, I feel like, oh, I, I, I want one of those, like a PS5 or an Xbox or things like that. I don't buy a lot of those, but I will buy some expensive things here and there that are. <laughs> he, he likes shoes. I'll no, just say that. No. He's a shoe guy. I get those for free most of the time. But <laughs> um, yeah, like I, I like the car. We bought a house. Um, but you know, things, things like that. So things that are important. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't have a lot of material items. Like you're not going to see a bunch of change. You're not going to see a bunch of things that, to be honest, like I don't buy things that you can really steal. So, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I guess more of a saver. And then the second part of that, uh, I mean, I still get tournament bonuses. Um, I still have, you know, winning world titles is a big thing. Winning player of the year is a big thing. Um, all these, accolades and things like that i still have bonuses in my contract for that um and then yeah the the 10 million or the 10 year 10 million dollar deal is, is is a guaranteed contract uh because we know the sports you know hopefully going to continue growing as it has the last year and and it's kind of just a, it doesn't have a cap you know if the sport can, continues to grow my contract will continue to grow just not we we have room to renegotiate as years come and things like that so that's kind of just the baseline of it. Um, yeah, I don't know no. what other details are. No, that, that's good. I mean, I guess I was thinking too, you answered a lot of that. Um, was there any renegotiation or was that never even on the table? Things like disc sales or new discs, um, lineups. Is that all part of the first agreement? Did anything change for the new one? No, we, we definitely changed a lot of things like that. Uh, there was definitely a lot of things like, like the internal stuff was, was changed to better fit. Um, the growth of the sport essentially, you know, so we can do more and not feel like either side is handcuffed and, you know, so yeah, there was a lot of the internal sides, a lot of the wording and numbers have changed um, to make this happen. Awesome. So we're going to transition here. If people haven't been browsing through the social media world as of the last hour, 
um, there was an announcement made that you now officially have started um, something called the Paul Macbeth Foundation. I'm just going to go ahead and give an intro video here, and then we can talk about that, okay? This was the video released with your press release, so here we go. My name is Paul Macbeth, five-time disc golf world champion and the founder of the Paul Macbeth Foundation. I got into disc golf actually through my dad. He got into it and he kind of introduced it to me very young, uh, but I didn't really pick up on it until about high school, so about 14. I remembered when I went out there with my dad, I would ride my bike, but I would see guys out there playing by themselves. You know, once I started playing, I realized like these people were actually out there practicing for something. First course I played was Huntington Beach Central Park, uh, second ever disc golf course in the world. So it's got some history to it. I was fortunate enough to have a course like that close by within five, 10 minutes of my house. My first tournament was the 2005 Amateur World Championships in Flagstaff, Arizona. And I still to this day remember getting there and seeing so many kids there, seeing so many juniors, seeing so many amateurs that are just doing it for essentially fun. They're not getting paid to be there. They're doing it and the camaraderie of, of having all those other people their age or, or having someone to compete against at their skill level so everyone almost has a chance to win. I think it's that, that competitive side that, that kind of gave me the idea of like, I want to do something like this one day, whether it's run a tournament like that or be able to provide to where I remember meeting kids from Colorado, from North Carolina, from, from out of the country, from, from Sweden, and I was 15, 14 years old. And it just has stuck with me ever since that this could be something to where someone that's 14 can go to the junior worlds and meet kids from 40 different countries in the future. I've been around this vision and this this dream to start this foundation of, of um, getting disc golf in more places since, since I first started. First time I went to Europe was 2011. I was young, I was 20 years old, um, traveling with a convoy of other disc golfers from the US. But just seeing all the different terrain, all the different uh, cultures and all the different possibilities for disc golf. And that was back in 2011. So now we're in 2021. It's been 10 years since that, that experience. And, and I just want to be able to continue to push that, push that envelope of there should be more countries with disc golf. Disc golf as a whole has given so much to me. Uh, and I want to be able to give that back to, to as many people as I can. Um, and with the installation of disc golf courses through the Paul Macbeth Foundation, I feel like that's my way to give back. To me, the most important thing about the Paul Macbeth Foundation is that the purpose isn't just to generically grow disc golf, but it's to reach folks that are in countries and in big cities where disc golf just isn't there at this point. The organization is gonna be focused on putting disc golf in those areas where people either have very little or absolutely no access to the sport. One of the things that excites me is that, uh, you know, perhaps uh, the next Paul Macbeth, the next five-time world champion, is in a country or in a city right now where they don't even know what disc golf is. The Paul Macbeth Foundation is gonna make sure that those folks have just as much a chance to experience the, the joys and benefits of disc golf as we do. This is something I can't do by myself. Unlike competing where I'm out there playing by myself, this is something where we need your help. On the course, I represent Discraft, but off the course, I represent the whole sport of disc golf. So we need the help from anyone and everyone to fulfill our mission. We plan to start our first project in 2021 and are looking for partners to begin working on installing courses. For more information, you can visit our website. All right, so that was pretty inspirational there. Um, that's totally a cool launch. Um, let's just get right into it. The video mentioned you've had this vision for a long time. 
Um, where did the idea of this foundation start and how did it evolve over the years? So maybe just dig in just a little bit to give us an intro to where this came from. Yeah. So I have this notebook that I've written down a lot of ideas and a lot of goals that I had. And um, it's funny that the Palmy Fest Foundation, so that, that notebook goes all the way back to uh, 2012 or 2013 um, as far as the one that I have here in this house. Um, oh no, the other house. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was, um, it's, it, it's kind of just always been something that, that, I mean, I have, my roots are, what am I trying to say? My heritage is, is Mexican. So it's kind of like, I've always wanted to play disc golf in Mexico. Like that's something that I've always wanted to do and kind of go, go, you know, see, see my culture and things like that. But I've seen so many other ones. So it's kind of just started from there, um, you know, cause there's not many, Mexicans in the in the sport as far as I know especially at the at the elite level currently um so I don't know I think just being a minority that's kind of kind of something that that's been there since the beginning cool thanks for sharing that so obviously you can't play disc golf for the full year and run this whole foundation by yourself you said that in the video you're looking for help because on the course you're representing disc craft off the course you're representing disc golf itself you need some help you have people working. We just saw Doug Bierkus is the co-chairman of the board of directors. Mm-hmm. Can you, is it public knowledge yet? Who else you have helping you out with the foundation? Where is this all coming from? Who's, who's running it? Yeah, we have, we have a lot of people um, helping out. Um, you saw Doug Bierkus there. Um, Nate Heinel is going on, I believe, Smashbox tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So that's another one. So we have a lot of manufacturers, um, Disc golf manufacturers actually represented with the Paul McBeth Foundation. So um, it's, like I said, it's not just a disc craft thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's everyone. So that's kind of the awesome part is, is you know, it, it, it's for the sport in general. You know, it's not just, you know, benefiting myself with disc craft. It's, mm-hmm. we want everyone involved. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I should name everyone. I, I, I didn't go over that. That's, that's my bad for not so, going over no, that. No, no. And, so that's perfect, though. Nate, two, Nate Heinold is – yeah, so right. Nate Heinold and Doug Bierkus right now are the two yes. known people yeah. who um, – and like Paul just said, Nate Heinold will also be speaking more about this tomorrow on Smashbox. Um, what is – if you can't explain it, what is Doug's role? You know, kind of sum it up really quick. Doug's role. So So – I'm pretty sure it said chairman right there mm-hmm. um, or co-chairman. He pretty much handles everything. Cool. He pretty much like when we have meetings, he is like, all right, I'm leading the meeting. I got to make sure things pass. I got to make sure, you know, we're voting on this and making sure everything is in order. And him and Nate share that role because not sure if you know, but they run the two biggest tournaments in disc golf. Mm-hmm. So they are kind of busy and mm-hmm. luckily they're kind of staggered in those events. So they pretty much make this, this thing roll. Um, so they are very important and they are kind of the ones where if I need some kind of, if I have an idea, I'll go to them. If I, if I need, you know, if they, if they need to tell me to do something, you know, they're, they're the ones that I, that I listen to. And, and, uh, so yeah, two very important people in this. Um, the video did say the website, correct. And in the website, has it launched? Yes, it is live. PaulMcBethFoundation.org. Um, and I think what's on there live is kind of some of the, what our goals are. And then also I think there is, is merch on there, which like I said, I'm underdressed. I have it outside, <laughs> but I, uh, I, yeah, c- I could be wrong because I, 
I don't want to spill the beans completely, but I was given a little exclusive access to the website and I want to make sure I'm not seeing something I shouldn't, but the team is listed on there. Your full team. Okay, great. Yeah. All right. So, can you read it out? Yeah, yeah. You got obviously yourself, yourself yeah. being the inspiration. <laughs> Nate Heinold, co-chair. <laughs> Doug Bjork is co-chair. Um, somebody, Brandon Hibbard as a treasurer. Yeah, Brandon Hibbard, yep. Uh, Justin Alderman as a secretary. Um, yep. You have an advisory board member, Blake Iverson. And then your staff member, your executive director is Dustin Leatherman. Um, a name All right, great. Heard around, yeah. So. No, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Good. Just I'm wanted to make sure. <laughs> I just wanted yeah, no, to make that's, sure. That's all the people I would have named. Okay, great. No I didn't. Else. I didn't want to spill the beans on something we should. No, that's, that's good. Okay, that's good. good. So let me ask this question. You just obviously we just talked about it. You signed a major deal um, in the sport, the prime of your career, or maybe not. Maybe your prime of your career is still in five still years coming. to come. Right. Um, yeah. So. Why do you want to do this now? Is there significance to the time of this? Um, what What's the purpose of the now? Like what brought it to this point? I think we just got all the right people um, right now. And th this is this is the time to do it. Um, and, and it's actually great with all the diversity going on with PDGA and, and the world here today. So it, it kind of just all came together at this moment. It's not something that we're – we had actually came together a lot faster than we anticipated. We We – started doing this last year, I would say late, late summer, early fall. Um, and it came together really quick, way faster than we anticipated. We were actually thinking about launching in 2022 was, was our goal. And um, here we are third month of, of 2021 and, and we're live. So everything came together so quick and, and honestly so perfect. And, and the team and the board, um, you know, made, made this possible. They've been working so hard on this and everything. So, um, yeah, I mean, they're 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 the ones that I have to thank for for being able to to have this live right now. So one of the main mission statements that came about from that video is you want to put disc golf where disc golf isn't right now. Um, what kind of led you into that? And I think Doug kind of hinted at it a little bit, saying you know that next potential five-time world champions out there in the world somewhere um, who might have no idea what disc golf is right now, and then. Yeah, pretty much why are you focusing on those areas? I think, uh, I believe those are just kind of the underserved areas. Um, the, the places that disc golf hasn't been, oh, got a dog in the room. Um, <laughs> this is live, this is live television, everybody. So yeah, fo focusing yeah, on the places, you know, underserved. Yeah, so. Yeah, um, so, you know, traveling, there's so many cities, you know, big cities that we drive through and drive, you know, kind of to that don't have, courses near them and you know and those are the densely populated areas that that could have so much so much potential for the growth of disc golf and just people that that kind of just need that kind of outlet which is kind of like what i needed at that at that time in my life um and then so many other countries that that just might not have the resources but we have them here and, and we can donate those to to certain countries and certain places around the world that that might might want disc golf and have seen it on youtube and things like that but just don't have the resources or just some some countries that just don't even know about disc golf yet and and could be a, a perfect situation for it um mm -hmm. so yep do you have a potential timeline of like you had said that you're mexican and one of your things is you want to play disc golf in mexico do you have an idea of when any of these projects are there any projects in the worth uh work that you're allowed to talk about at the moment um yeah what's going on with projects the actual projects yeah mm -hmm. Uh, definitely want to go south of the border uh, with one of them. 
and uh, there's nothing set in stone a hundred percent right now because of COVID and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I do want to get down there ASAP uh, because we do have potential down there. Mm-hmm. We do have we do have some areas that we're in contact with and have been talking to, but it's it's yeah with COVID right now and travel restrictions, it's pretty difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's possible, I will be going somewhere soon yeah um so it's just it's just finding the right time and then finding the restrictions and seeing what happens because i know mexico for example if i do go down there and test positive for covid i'm I'm stuck down there for two Mm -hmm. weeks Mm -hmm. and that this year it's kind of with how tight the tournament schedule is who knows what events those could be um so it's it's finding the right time and finding you know the the right spot to be the first one but the but 2021 we will have our first course installed with the Palm Beth Foundation. Very nice. Very cool. So I feel like sometimes the nature of a talk show like this, it makes me feel like I'm asking questions that people are going to hate on me for. We'll talk about that later, asking these questions or something came up last week. (laughs) But I want to ask, and not to put you on the spot necessarily, but how are these efforts being supported? And it might seem obvious you just signed a $10 million agreement. You, your money's not your issue per se, but how, one, I guess, how can people get involved and support it? But like, do you need support? What does that look like? And um, how is this being funded? Yeah, support is is always needed, um, especially with the foundation. So the palmerbethfoundation.org, Palmer Beth uh, there's, there's links there that you can donate. Uh, volunteers are always greatly appreciated. Um, and actually in 2021, I'll be donating my entire earnings from the PDJ events. So Anything I earn from a PGA tournament will be donated to the Paul McBeth Foundation uh, for 2021. So that is, that's the first funding. Um, and yeah, so wow, the better I play, the more money the foundation is going to get. Yeah, for you know people who don't know, Paul has won two tournaments so far this year. One of which being an exhibition match that you know, let's say for example, so twenty five hundred dollars for that. He had just won the Memorial Championships. That was forty seven hundred dollars, and then I think you had made a little over two grand in Vegas. Oh, a little less, excuse me. I think I, I forget exactly what the number was in Vegas, but at this point you've already, you've already donated, you know, anywhere from seven to nine grand, depending on what the actual numbers are. But that's pretty incredible that throughout the whole year, and this is actually one of your busier disc golf seasons. You're playing almost upwards of 30 events throughout the year. Yeah, yeah. let's do it. Definitely. So, I mean, I'm playing for a bigger cause than just myself. So it, it's nice. It's, it's a lot of fun. I, I'm not worried I mean, I'm not worried about what the tournaments are paying. I'm not worried about the money. I just want to go out there and win because I know, you know, I'm playing. I'm playing for more than just myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to say I'm speechless, but I think <sighs> if I look back, and I've been playing for about 14 years myself, and if I look back at the state of disc golf, this is literally one of these moments where I thought that okay, <laughs> I'm trying to get the right words here. I thought the $10 million contract and being public was probably the biggest thing to date. And I think it is, but I think there's something also significantly as big here to hear a disc golfer. And I'm, it's kind of coming out as a joke out of my mouth, but to hear a disc golfer say like, I'm not going to take any tournament winnings. That is a major cliche because that's what disc golfers need is the, the, for the last 14 years, 15 years, 20, 30, 40 years, but to hear you say that, I, I mean, there's a lot of people in the chat right now saying respect to you, all this stuff. I think if I can have a moment to collect my thoughts and say something next week, I'll probably do that in the same regards to this content. 
um, that's just tremendous. Um, I, I know children in underserved areas, other countries, obviously are going to really benefit from this. So um, is there anything we missed that you think would be relevant or do you just want to send people to the website? They can follow you on Instagram. There's a foundation um, there and maybe yeah. Facebook. Where, where should they go? Definitely the Paul McBeth Foundation uh, Instagram. Um, I think we'll be dropping a lot of pictures and keeping up with with projects and things like that um, and videos and and um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that'll be very active. And um, I think the YouTube channel dropped as well. And but I you can find all this information at PaulMcBethFoundation.org. Um, they'll have all the links and all that to to find it under one roof and and make it easier. So. Well, and I appreciate you guys for letting me come on here and, and talk about this. Yeah, I and obviously anytime. And um, it's also a unique situation we're in where um, we are now underneath technically a network that is technically right. It's oversight provided by you and Brody through the foundation yeah. disc golf. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, just it's very cool. And we're very appreciative of that as well. That doesn't mean, Paul, it doesn't mean I'm not going to bring the hard questions and I'm just going to treat okay. you like anybody else. No, I like the hard questions. <laughs> I'll think some up. Um, so feel free to stick around. I think we have about 10 minutes left. There's just a few topics we want to wrap up on um, but or, or leave yeah. and get your RV fixed up, you know? I was just about to say, Paul's got a little, you know, RV stuff going on right now that uh, hopefully we can figure out in the next few hours, maybe finally hit the road, getting out to Texas. So, you know, unless you do want to stay on, but if you got stuff to do, Feel free to yep. go get those things done. I'll just, I, I just wanted to point out really quick at the bottom of Matt's screen to his right, uh, or excuse me, our right, his left, there's a beautiful shirt down there. And it is Nick and Matt show merchandise. And you can go on foundationdisc.com and check out the Nick and Matt show merchandise. I have no proof that it will help your score at all during any rounds, <laughs> but they are very comfortable. I wore one on an 85 degree day and I loved nice it. Compliment. I heard that. Exactly. It actually, you know, I've, I've gotten a few nice compliments about it and someone actually came up to me and they were like, yo, you look like Nick from the Nick and Matt show. And I have a mask on. And I was like, that's crazy. What a guy. He's probably an incredible person. <laughs> that's because you're so. wearing your own shirt. Exactly. <laughs> hey, but guess what? Yeah, it's not to make fun of people who wear their own hats either. And then people who wear their friends hats. I mean, all that's all fine. You know I mean? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, exactly. so again, Literally feel free to walk out right now or don't, but I want to bring up something from last week. I said, I, I bring the tough questions. I don't know if this was a tough question. Feel free to answer in the comments. This has now become a topic <laughs> about how sports talk, how disc golf interviews should work. Me asking Ezra Aderhold, was his performance <laughs> a fluke? And I'm going to just bring you like straight from my mouth. I asked that question not with intention of saying that it was a fluke, but purely to set him up, to tee him up, to be able to say why it was not. I wanted to hear because I could not have been the only one who was wondering all last year. I don't think he broke even top 10. He even said that himself at any elite series. And so then to come out of the gate, go right up there, shoot hot rounds, sit up there at top, take second place. I don't think it was an out of place question to ask in the comments. Feel free to ask it or, or to let us know what you think. Nick, did you feel like when you heard me ask that, that that was too hot of a take? No. So actually, you know, and a lot of people did think that that was a really hard, hot take, or it was a really bad question to ask. And to be honest, you asking that was great. And Ezra's response to it was incredible. And yes. I'll reiterate what he had said. 
he had said that the tournament itself was not a fluke. The only fluke about it was the third round where he did not play well. I and honestly, it. I love that answer. I love, I love that confidence. I love that question. I think now that we have moved towards more multiple guests on future episodes, shorter interviews, we got to ask the hard hitting questions. And to be honest, <laughs> that people want to know those kind of things. So, but, but the funny thing I'll, is, Nick, I don't, and I'll say it again. I don't feel like it was actually that hard hitting of a question. I just think the disc golf community is used to being too small where it's like, we really, really like that person. So you can't ask yeah. them anything that assumes that like this was a fluke yeah. now. And I, I'll say this, believe me, I, I saw Ezra not even 12 hours later <laughs> out in the course in person, you know, he was actually there while we were shooting a video and he had nothing but nice things to say about, you know, thank you for letting him on the podcast and everything like that. So believe me, he didn't take no. any hard feelings to that. So I don't <laughs> think anyone else out in the disc golf world should. And Paul, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, do you think I, more of these types of questions, like where we actually set people up to answer and stand up for themselves, right? Yeah, no, I was I, I was honestly shocked at first. I was like, what? Did Matt just ask that? And then to hear Ezra's answer was like, wow, like that was that was good. That was a great question, you know, for that reason, because his response just knocked that question out of the park. But it is it is what, you know, we should be asked. Like we should be held accountable for what we do out there and, and how – you know, we, we're kind of, you know, if, if we're off, you know, it, it should be okay to be asked that, mm -hmm. you know, like what, what happened? Your putting sucked. Like, <laughs> you know, a little bit more elaborate of a question, but like we, we should be able to ask that. We should be held responsible for that. And, and I think it was a great question. And I think, I, I, I think he really enjoyed being on the Nick and Matt show because of that, you know, it, it was different and, mm -hmm. and, you know, we, we, it wasn't the same old, like, Hey, you did good, did good job. How'd you feel out there? You know, obviously we won, so we probably felt great. <laughs> yeah, and, and to be clear, I'm not setting this up to say that I'm a great interviewer. In fact, I've got a long way to go, so everyone can start applauding that right now. They're like, yes, Matt, you do. <laughs> but, but I think I want to ask the questions that I know people are thinking, and I can be a voice to at least do that. So, yeah, I, again, people are going to always pick and choose how they want things to be asked, and that's fine. But I think in response to what Nick said, um. Ezra reached out to us right after the show and he said, great questions, literally great questions. So I think, I think the spectator needs to get used to this idea that it's okay. Like they're athletes. They, people want to know. So um, being out there and we're just getting ready to wrap up here, being out there, um, Nick played a round with you, a practice round who apparently uh, we've determined again, that he doesn't like charities. <laughs> And Paul, get such a bad rap for that. And Paul starts foundation. So we know that he's, you know, that's yeah. not an issue for him. But um, any cash round I play against Paul this year, I'll donate my winnings to the Paul Macbeth Foundation. This is <laughs> this is a 30 second conversation, literally, like, let's not go anywhere with this. But just your opinion back on it is um, Brody's form. Uh, he surprised me with his play at LVC, number one. But then I saw his form on your recent videos that you put up, Paul. Do you see any, you see him a lot, but do you see any significance in his form? Like the way it's increasing? Is it changing? Yeah, it's definitely changing. Uh, he's trying to make it more of a disc golf form than a Frisbee form. Um, and like just a simple reach back like this, you can't do that with a Frisbee. So he's learned to kind of swoop it around and do all this stuff when he's throwing a backhand or a pull or whatever they call it in ultimate. So he knows that he has that issue and he's trying to get more of a disc golf uh you know reach back or pull back whatever you want to call it um so he's he's definitely changing that and you can tell that 
it's not as consistent as what his Frisbee top style throw was. So I don't know if it's going to add distance in general. I think it's just going to add more of a consistency, which is what he's looking for. Cool. Um, and I know Nick and I are trying to share notes here and we're trying to wrap up the show a little bit early so you can get on the road, but I'll just ask this just in a short, simple way. Um, Anthon on the lead card, what was it like playing with him again? It's probably been a while. Um, did he was on the lead card with you, correct? Yeah. Yeah. yeah final round. Yeah. No, it was great. It was great being with Josh. I mean, we go way back. We've been, I mean, he's from NorCal, uh, SoCal. So it's always been a, a rivalry in that sense. Like California split in two. You got your NorCal, you got your SoCal. So we've always battled um, since I, since I turned pro in 2008. So um, he's always been, I guess you could say the king of the North, you know, up there in Northern mm -hmm. California. So it was good to see. Unfortunately, he's injured. He's got something pulled in his back. So to see, I mean, if you watch the video, I don't think he touched four, four, tw 425 feet at, with any of his shots. Mm -hmm. So he was definitely struggling on distance. Yeah, his rollers would get out there. But, uh, yeah, he's definitely a talented disc golfer. Um, so it, it was good to see him playing well. Really quick, we're pretty much actually hitting the one-year mark of going back to Waco last year, which everything kind of went the direction it has gone since Waco. Um, I loved that course. I had an incredible time there. I'm very excited to go back to it. Uh, what are your feelings actually going back to Waco? This is your second time going and you had a second place third. You had a second place finish last year. And is it really to Waco? Oh, I didn't know you went those years. Well, I learned something new. Anyways, second place last year. Um, feelings going back to it. Yeah. So this is my fourth time, Nick. Um, I've taken, I've won it once. I've taken second to Colton and then I think I lost another time. So this is, I'm pretty sure my fourth time could be wrong as well, but uh, it, it's definitely an interesting track. It's I think nine wooded holes, nine open mm -hmm. holes. Um, so I'm still kind of getting used to this, this tour stop. Um, but it's, it's nice to go and play one course, especially after going to Vegas, playing three, going to Memorial, playing two. Uh, so it's good to get to that one course and kind of focus on one and, and learn the holes really well. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, looking forward to three rounds mm -hmm. uh, instead of two like last year and uh, continuing on the tour after this one. Yes, 100%. All right. In closing out with our last minute here, we're going to try to stay punctual with your needs of getting on the road so you can go try to win at Waco. Um, but the Disc Golf Pro Tour announced, I think it was last week, that the match play championships are now a thing in Pennsylvania, yeah. September 16 and 19. What's your reaction to that? I'll ask Paul first, and then I want I want to know Nick's opinion too. But Paul, <laughs> Paul, Paul give us your opinion on – what do you think of that? It sounds pretty cool to me. Yeah, it does sound pretty cool. I won't be there, though. I will be at the Battle for Bedford. We've been planning on hosting this tournament for a year. It'll be at the course that I designed here in Bedford, Virginia, um, at the New London course. So it is a great idea. Um, I knew internally that they were going to land on the same date. So I haven't actually looked into the match play format or anything like that, knowing that I wasn't going to be there. So Nick, what do you think about match play? I, I mean, you've, you've been cheering for it at the major. For, you're the champion for it at the major. So, yeah, I, I hate the idea of that being a major, <laughs> but i um, just kidding. Uh, no, I actually, I, I love the idea of having a full on match play tournament where it's just strictly match play. I'm curious at how they're going to do all the seedings. I'm curious which pros are going to be able to attend the event, who is going to get invited to attend the event. 
I know 100% I will not be there. My sister is getting married, so I unfortunately have to miss the Battle for Bedford, which is an incredible B tier at a course that's absolutely insane. And then I'm going to, you know, not that I was going to get invited probably, but <laughs> I won't be going to the match play tournament in Pennsylvania. Um, so, but I actually, to be honest, I do love the idea of a strictly full on nothing but match play. I'm very curious to see how the pros attack it. And uh, I'm, I'm actually, I'm looking forward to it. Well, Nick, this is a record. Paul has probably had a few records with us now on our show. Maybe the longest. No, that was Brody. Yeah. Okay, but now he's going to be a part of the shortest. This will be the shortest show we've ever done. Yeah. I'm sorry to our listeners. <laughs> they want more. But we're just going to cut it short. We're going to let him get on the road. Nick is coming back next week. Actually, next Monday. Yep. Yeah, I, uh, I'll i fly back into town Sunday or Monday. I'm not 100% sure yet. And then uh, I'm pretty much going to be going straight over to the Foundation Warehouse and getting up the podcast studio set up. I apologize, obviously, for the last couple of weeks. I've been out on the road. Um, it's been an incredible time. I've been having fun. I've been playing pretty well, so I'm excited about that. But uh, I am very, very much looking forward to being in studio with some great internet and you know, great camera work and all that jazz. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. All right, Nick, we've made it to that point in the show where you can close us out. Sounds good to me. Hey, everybody, tell someone you love them this week. Uh, be safe, everybody. Be healthy. We'll catch you in the next one. Thanks for coming on, Paul. Peace out. Thank you. Peace. The Nick and Matt Show, a disc golf podcast designed for you, the disc golfer. Find the Nick and Matt Show on your favorite podcast platforms or stream us live exclusively on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel. 